Hello and welcome to the Real Life Law Podcast. I'm your host, Legia Miller, a real-life lawyer on a mission to demystify the law and how it affects your everyday life. Every Monday and Friday, I live stream over on my YouTube channel, and then I convert that into a podcast for you, because I get that you're a busy person on the go. We cover pop culture and current events and the laws that shape your everyday life. So thank you so much for joining. If you find this podcast informational or entertaining, please consider giving it a review. Every review helps this podcast grow and is greatly appreciated. Now on with the content. So this week, R. Kelly was found guilty of all counts against him in a federal court in New York. Um, let's talk about how the trial unfolded, what are the details, and what's in store for R. Kelly now. Um, major content warning, we'll be talking about assault, child exploitation, etc. throughout this video. It is a heavy topic, so content warning there. Um, before I jump in, if you're new here, my name's Lija. I'm a real-life lawyer on a mission to demystify the law and how it affects your everyday life. Uh, that being said, I'm a lawyer, but I'm not your lawyer. Nothing that I say should ever be construed as legal advice, and you should always seek the advice of a licensed attorney before making any legal decisions, all right? I'm just here because uh, I did some research, and I want to share it with you, all right? So, uh, yeah. So, R. Kelly, he was found guilty of all nine counts against them. Uh, the first count that he was charged under was a federal racketeering charge under RICO or the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. RICO. This act was passed in 1970. It was originally meant to help prosecute the mob. They used it to go after members of the Gambino family, uh, which is one of five prominent mob families in New York, if you're not familiar. Um, yes, that is Rudy Giuliani many decades ago prosecuting the mob. Uh, what's unique about RICO though, is that it allows prosecutors to, uh, take numerous criminal acts that happened over the course of many years and they can kind of stitch them all together under the, the umbrella of one count of racketeering and say that it's all part, all of these crimes were part of an enterprise that was formed to create crime. Um, and the language of the act includes specific prohibitions from benefiting financially from this kind of enterprise. It's, it's prohibited to participate, certainly, but also to benefit from it. And this was creative, oh, by Moira, this was creative and important for getting mobsters because not only did the criminal acts often span decades, so, you know, stat statutes of limitations may have come and gone, um, but they also spanned numerous different districts, numerous different locations and years, etc. So it was kind of a difficult thing under pre-1970 laws to uh, get at these mobsters, especially at the heads of these mob groups. You see, the mob bosses, not sure if you've ever seen The Godfather, ever heard of it? These mob bosses had so many lackeys, so many people running around doing their bidding. They were really good at making sure absolutely nothing directly tied them to crimes. Um, there was no evidence of them ordering hits. They certainly weren't doing the hits themselves. They had people to launder the money and they were living high on the hog while everyone else did their bidding. It's like the ultimate end result of capitalism. Make other people work for you and kill anyone who gets in the way. Am I right? Oh, I'm gonna get so many comments about being a communist now. Okay, so the government passed RICO so that anyone who benefits from this type of enterprise and organized crime can be prosecuted. So they didn't need to prove that the mob bosses c 
committed the crimes. They just had to show that they benefited from it. Um, that being said, Congress probably didn't have our Kelly types in mind when they created this law, but its use has expanded beyond the mob at this point and has been used to charge corrupt police departments, the Hells Angels motorcycle gang, and more recently it was successfully used against the Nexium sex cult, a video topic for another day. Um, some criticize the use of the law now because it's expanded from just going after the mob to now going after like actual businesses but because they fall under the definition of enterprise. Um, and apparently so does R. Kelly. Um, so I've linked the indictment down below. Uh, the original one I've linked, it was filed back in 2019. It was filed in the Eastern District of New York, which is like Long Island, Brooklyn area. Um, it has been edited a few times as new evidence has come out throughout the course of discovery in this case. So I've also linked the third superseding indictment below, which is like the final indictment that he would, um, that he was prosecuted under. Um, I had a hell of a time finding that third superseding indictment for free anywhere. So I logged into the government system and I bought it for you. So you're welcome. All right. So the, and the indictment covers six Jane Doe's that he abused from the nineties through to his arrest in 2019. Um, it claims a number of things. It claims a number of things, but among these, it claims that Kelly, it claims that Kelly did a lot of heinous things, including issuing rules that many of his sexual partners were required to follow, including that the women and girls were to call him daddy. They were not permitted to leave their rooms to eat or to visit the bathroom without receiving his permission. They were required to wear baggy clothing when they weren't accompanying him to events. And they were directed to keep their heads down, to not look at men, to not interact with men. There was reports and testimony that said that like when his assistant had him, had them order an Uber for one of his girls, if the Uber driver showed up and it was a man, they would send him away and tell a woman Uber driver showed up. Like he, like, not even touching on the sexual and physical abuse, like the amount of power and control and relationship abuse just in those accusations is shocking. All right. So, okay. There are nine counts. Like I said, let's get in, let's get in to those counts. So count one again, is that racketeering Rico count. Um, and the, the act is uh, 18 USC 1962 C. Yes, it says it shall be unlawful for any person employed by or associated with any enterprise engaged in or the activities of which affect interstate or foreign commerce to conduct or participate directly or indirectly in the conduct of such enterprises affairs through a pattern of racketeering activity. What? Okay, basically it's if you are a part of an enterprise, you can't engage in racketeering activity. All right, so what the heck is an enterprise? They define it. It includes any individual, partnership, corporation, association, or other legal entity, so like a business, and any union or group of individuals associated in fact, although not a legal entity. So like a group of friends can be an enterprise as well. A mob 
with no business entity could be an enterprise. However, they are saying that R. Kelly's music business was the enterprise and that it committed crimes as well. So it is a business they're going after here, but just him as an individual. And then a racketeering act includes any act or threat of involving murder, kidnapping, gambling, arson, robbery, bribery, extortion, dealing in obscene matter or dealing in a controlled substance which is chargeable under state law and any act which is indictable under federal criminal law. And then they go on to list a number of uh, different federal crimes that fall under this statute. Everything from gambling to child exploitation to selling counterfeit goods. Um, it also includes violations of the Mann Act. The Mann Act is brought up a lot in this indictment. The Mann Act prohibits transporting people over state lines for the commission of a crime. In this case, trafficking, basically. So in order to be found guilty of racketeering, you have to have been either guilty of having committed these crimes as part of the enterprise or benefited from it in some way financially. Um, and they laid out in this indictment a number of acts that constitute part of the whole racketeering enterprise. So to be found guilty of racketeering, you only have, the prosecution only had to prove two acts, two criminal acts as part of the enterprise, as part of the racketeering scheme. In this indictment, they lay out 14 separate acts, 14 separate acts, which constitute the one racketeering count. Does that make sense? Um, so all these acts add up to one count of racketeering. All right. Um, and then those acts, are all committed against six different victims known as Jane Doe's one through six. All right. So these acts, again, this is all within count one of the racketeering count. Act one is bribery of a federal officer to create a fake ID for Jane Doe number one. This happened back in 1994 in Illinois. Jane Doe number one is Aaliyah. Aaliyah is Jane Doe number one. Um, she, fun fact, had the same birthday as I do. Uh, she tragically died at a plane crash in 2001, but she met R. Kelly in 1992 when she was like 12. And then when she was uh, 15 in 1994, uh, he was afraid that she was pregnant. And so he bribed a federal officer to make her a fake, or maybe a state officer, I guess, an employee to make her a fake ID give her documents so that it looked like she was 18 so that she could get an abortion because otherwise she would need parental consent. He also then was able to marry her at 15. He was 27 when this all went down. All right, so that's count one or act one of count one. Uh, Jane Doe number two. Um, she was a woman who testified under the name Stephanie and said that she approached R. Kelly at a Nike store, 1999, when she was 17. She asked him for an audition for a friend, an aspiring singer. The super, the super, superstar agreed. Um, but in return, he asked for sexual favors. And for the next six months, he sexually abused her. This was back in 1999. Then Jane Doe number three, um, she testified under the name Sonia, uh, said she was a 22 year old radio intern um, when she met R. Kelly outside a mall in Salt Lake City, he invited her to come to Chicago 
for an interview in 2013 so she could conduct an interview of him because she worked for the radio station. Um, again, she's like, she's trying to get her career going and R. Kelly, a famous singer, just offered her an interview, huge. But when she arrived, he locked her in a room in a studio, in his studio for days. Um, he only let her out for escorted visits to the bathroom. He did not feed her. He did not give her water. He kidnapped her. He confined her illegally. Um, eventually, she was given some old Chinese food, which she ate a few bites of and then passed out after a couple bites. And when she came to, it was clear that he had just finished assaulting her. All right. Uh, Jane Doe for Deronda Pace. She took the stand in the first two days of the trial and she was the first accuser to ever testify against R. Kelly. Um, he was, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but back in 2008, there was a case against him that he was acquitted of on all charges for, again, child exploitation. But in that case, the victim did not testify. So Geronda Pace, Jane Doe number four, um, was the first person to ever testify against him. Um, she told the jury that R. Kelly had sex with her in 2009 when she was 16 and he was 42. Um, and he also knowingly gave her herpes, which is a, a state crime um, because you can't consent or you have to ask for consent under those circumstances. All right. And uh, Jane Doe number five is Azriel Clary. And she offered some of the most disturbing testimony of the trial. I have linked a lot of sources down below. Um, you can uh, read through all of more of the gory details. And uh, but basically, um, this woman, she was still under his control up until he was arrested, like in 2019, for four years. Um, she, let's see, so she gave a television interview actually back in 2019 defending him because again she was still under his control she's now 22 so she met him when she, he was when she was 17 um and he abused her he coerced her to have sex with a man she did not know while he watched he beat her he forced her to get an abortion and he also knowingly gave her herpes again so sorry this is horrific content today. Um, and then Jane Doe number six is a woman named Faith. She said she was 19 when she began having sex with R. Kelly, who was 50 at the time. This was in 2017. Um, and he at one point threatened her with a gun in order to get her to do a sex act on him. Um, and a short time afterwards, she was also diagnosed with herpes. Um, so a key point in all of these horrific stories is that th these women crossed state lines in order for him to commit these crimes. He coerced them to cross state lines in order to commit the crimes against them. And they in fact did cross state lines, which is why this became a federal issue. This is why this became an issue of racketeering, of Man Act charges. Like this is a, a thing that spanned multiple districts and crossed state lines, which is a key fact in a lot of this. Um, and it goes also to counts. So that was all, all of those allegations are under count one, part of the racketeering scheme. Yeah, exactly. Crossing state lines, trafficking. 
Um, so counts two through nine, so count one racketeering, what we just talked about, counts two through nine are all related to the Mann Act. Um, again, which prohibits trafficking, basically crossing state lines to commit these types of crimes. And they, and counts two through nine only pertain to Jane Doe five and Jane Doe six. You may be wondering why only Jane Doe's five and six? These were obviously heinous crimes that need to be prosecuted. You know, all, all of them should be, right? The issue is that these charges were brought in the Eastern District of New York. Again, Brooklyn, Long Island area. Most of the acts constituting the racketeering count, count one that I just talked about, occurred outside of the district. So they're claiming that he committed racketeering within the Eastern District and elsewhere as one large enterprise, which is how they're getting him on the racketeering charges in this district. But then the individual illegal acts that he committed as part of that larger enterprise can't all be prosecuted here because most of them occurred outside of the Eastern District of New York, and that's outside of their jurisdiction. So they won't prosecute them individually. And in fact, the District of Illinois, where most of the racketeering acts did occur, is separately prosecuting him for those acts, all right? Uh, so Doe's, so counts two through nine only pertain to Jane Doe five and six because they actually occurred within the district and thus are part of their jurisdiction. That makes sense? All right. So they charged him with Mann Act violations for transporting Jane Doe five across state lines in commission of a crime, um, reckless endangerment and exposure to an infectious venereal disease. Because again, he knew he had herpes. He did not tell them. He exposed them. It's a non-curable disease. No stigma, no shame, but it is a horrible thing to do to someone uh, without, you know, you, you, gotta, you gotta communicate, all right? Um, and he also coerced and enticed her to do so. So those are separate counts. The actual transporting her and then the coercion and enticement, separate. Um, and then there are, let's see. And then there are additional counts, two more counts because she was a minor at the time that he, she both went over state lines and was coerced by him over state lines. And then two more counts for transporting and coercing Jane Doe six in 2017 and two more counts for doing the same thing again in 2018. All right, so this is a mess. This is, this is a very complex case because they're trying to weave together a ton of crimes um, in order to get him both under this racketeering charge, but then also get him for the things that he did to Jane Doe's five and six. And it is messy and horrific. All right, so he was indicted mid-2019. Mid-2019, that was a while ago. The trial was set to begin in July, 2020, but then, you know, COVID. So it got postponed repeatedly until this past August. So well, it's October 1st now, happy spooky season, but you know, a month and a half ago. At the time he was indicted in New York, he was also indicted in Illinois. That trial is gonna begin after this one. I'm unclear whether it's now going to begin or if they're gonna wait for sentencing in this one first. Um, the charges in Illinois include child porn charges as well as obstruction of justice charges. So basically a lot of the details laid out in the racketeering charge are going to be charged individually because they are also crimes in themselves. Um, separately in Illinois. All right, so this trial began in August. It lasted six weeks. It included, the prosecution called 45 witnesses, which included all five living Jane Doe's, because remember Aaliyah, RIP, 
um, and six other victims, including two men. Uh, it also included former employees of R. Kelly. It included audio records, text messages, photographs, phone and travel records, DNA evidence, and expert witnesses. And can we just pause and say, this case was led by three lady prosecutors, two of whom, at least, I'm guessing, appear to be women of color. You don't see that very often in a prosecution team. These ladies are fucking badass. They look fucking exhausted because this must have been an absolute insane case to have put together, tied together, woven together to then get this guy who had already, I'll remind you, been let off the hook in 2008 for similar charges. So we stand some queens, all right? So their names are Elizabeth Geddes, Nadia Shihata, and Maria Cruz Melendez. Badass prosecutors for the Eastern District of New York. All right, so... The prosecution drew this picture of R. Kelly in opening arguments and then proved it throughout the witnesses and the evidence that they presented it. They, they drew this picture of him as a sexual predator, a monster who used his fame and influence to mastermind this enterprise, Sh like shady enterprise masquerading as just this music business that allowed him to take advantage of his victims who were often like young concert goers, uh, girls that were starstruck, girls that were trying to start their own career and he offered them a way in. He used this to mastermind an enterprise that allowed him to take advantage of his victims, control them and commit horrific crimes against them. And he did this for 30 years. All right, so um, again, they called up the five Jane Doe's and his other victims. There was a case against him in 2008. Like I said, he was co committed, he was acquitted of all charges. And due to the rules of evidence, the prosecution could not detail that case in this case. You can't use a past wrong to prove propensity and you especially can't use a prior trial that ended in him being found not guilty to prove that he did something wrong, you know? However, the witnesses that they called, not necessarily, well, the victims, but also the people that used to work for him, they call, they detailed what happened after the trial, which was that he felt emboldened by being left, let off the hook in 2008, and his behavior got worse after that. So not only did he do heinous things before 2008, but then he doubled down on it afterwards, which is pretty, pretty damning. All right, so they also entered into evidence text messages from employees talking about their concern that from how they saw him treating women. And they showed a couple videos that showed him abusing women. Now throughout the trial, um, the media and any and the public had to sit in overflow rooms, um, which are separate rooms outside of the courtroom where you go and you sit and they have a screen that is live streaming what's going on. However, that way they were able to control the privacy of the jury. So the jury was not shown on the screens, um, but it also was difficult for members of the media to even see the evidence being presented because the screen was so small. You couldn't even like really read the witnesses' faces because they were like a, the size of a quarter on this screen. So there was some, some media push to get access to the, especially these videos because they couldn't see or hear them because all the, the, juries was, the jury was listening to it on headphones. So there was some push to get access to them. So the media did get access to, I think some redacted version of the, the videos of him abusing women because they were like so horrific 
that the judge was like, well, I'm not gonna just set these free into the world. Like it would be hor horrific for the victims, especially for that to be out. So, so what, what we know is limited, but it, they, they, they depicted him abusing women. Um, however, a lot of the physical evidence that they used in this case came from R. Kelly himself because he apparently liked to obsessively keep letters and messages sent to him by women, many of them underage. He would put them in like binders. He would print them out. He would laminate them. He had them labeled. I will say I didn't want to get into the detail of R. Kelly's background like I often do. Um, with like when I talk about these things, partially because he's disgusting and I don't want to talk about it. But I did, when I pulled up his Wikipedia page, I learned he was a Capricorn, which is horrific. I am also a Capricorn. Um, this is the only Capricorn tendency I can see out of him is this meticulous need to keep documents. But this, yeah, not a smart man, not a smart move. Big dummy. Um, because when you have a criminal case against you, you're gonna get subpoenaed for records. You're gonna, you have to turn over your records relating to the case. And so he had a lot of them, okay? He also, however, had these letters that he had forced the women to write, basically exonerating him. He used it as collateral. Um, so collateral is what abusers often use um, to hold on to if a victim, so that a victim can't come forward, can't say that it happened to them. Some sort of either blackmail, or in this case, I think they just were saying like, he didn't do anything or that he was great or something. Um, and they actually had an expert, the prosecution did, an expert testify on the stand as to how predators use collateral to control victims. That same expert also testified during the trial of Nexium's cult leader, Keith Raniere who was sentenced to like an insane number of years in prison for his sex cult. Um, I don't remember how many, but that man is never getting out. So an interesting crossover. Um, many of the witnesses, like I said, were his former employees and they described the way that he controlled women through rules, like the making them call him daddy and asking permission to eat and use the restroom. They really relied on these witnesses to paint this picture of who he was, but to also bolster all of, because there are so many accusations in that racketeering count, they used it to really bolster all of those accusations because these were people that were there behind the scenes and they saw him committing heinous acts. Um, it is a little shocking how many people were willing to come forward and talk about it, given that like, okay, they saw these horrible things happening and they didn't do anything, but they only prosecuted R. Kelly. There were a couple of his associates that have also been charged, but this case was just R. Kelly. Um, they also called the doctor that had treated him for herpes for years to again, prove the charges about him having infected these women with herpes. Um, they also called the, to the stand, the man who was the officiant at his and Aaliyah's wedding back in 1994. I think they were married for like a week. Um, it was the first time that this guy had ever spoken publicly about the marriage. And again, this was all to paint this picture of like, this man had a history and repeated criminal acts of engaging in sex with minors, committing sexual assault, et cetera, et cetera. So they really, they threw everything they had at him. All right. The defense for their part, um, they argued that the women were just groupies 
just gold diggers. They're just seeking a spot in the limelight. They wanted to build their career uh, and they wanted to take R. Kelly down. They made up stories, according to the defense, um, to try to get attention and that every sexual encounter described in this indictment and on the stand was either a lie or consensual. Very convenient. It is Moira snoring in the background. I'm so sorry. I would have pup cam up, but she has decided not to lay in her bed. I think she gets a little hot in the bed right now because it's, it's still warm outside. So she is laying under my feet, which is also directly under the microphone. So yes, you are hearing dog snores. All right, anyway, so then, you know, during cross-examination of the prosecution's witness, they had some like, it was insulting, frankly, some of the shit that they were implying in their cross-examination. Because they're trying, like in cross-exam, you're trying to, um, you're trying to put any sort of doubt in the minds of the jurors as to the credibility of these witnesses, which is why they're saying they're lying, they're groupies, they're gold diggers, they just want a moment in the limelight because they're trying to make the jury question these witnesses enough to put doubt in their minds. Because again, in a criminal case, you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that these things happened. So they're questioning these witnesses, which is the job of the defense attorney, but it's pretty insulting. For example, Jane Doe three, the woman that he held hostage in his studio and testified that she was given old Chinese food and then passed out after a few bites, which, you know, you'd think he probably drugged her. Well, the defense, the questioning implied that R. Kelly might not have drugged her and it could have actually been the MSG and the Chinese food that made her pass out. Yeah. Anyway, after the prosecution rested their case, the defense called a few witnesses, not many, mostly members of R. Kelly's entourage. Um, one was a cop uh, who had been kicked off the police force for forgery. So again, credibility issues. Um, then he had a guy, they had a guy come up who claimed that he spent every single day with R. Kelly, every day for years. And he never, he never saw him do anything. But then the prosecution on their cross exam was like, how come you never came up when we were like investigating this case? Why are you never in any photos with him? And then that kind of, that threw his credibility into question. It kind of came out that like, maybe he didn't spend every single minute with this guy. And then there are a couple other defense witnesses that got up to say they also never saw him abuse women. But then the prosecution was like, how much day-to-day -day interaction did you have with him? Oh, not much? How often did you see him engage in any sexual activity? Oh, never? Okay, then how could you ever say that he didn't sexually abuse women? Because you never, we weren't there, you know? Again, kind of derailed these witnesses. R. Kelly did not testify, um, which is his right. Uh, uh, but, and it's probably for the best. A lot of times criminal defendants are not, not the best witnesses for themselves. So probably for the best that they didn't. Um... All right, after deliberating for a day and a half, about nine hours, the jury returned a guilty verdict for all nine counts against him. So count one racketeering, again, that's one count, but there were 14 acts that they alleged in there. They found him guilty of 12 of those 14 acts. And again, the prosecution only had to prove that he was guilty of two of the 14 acts. So yeah, racketeering, definitely. Um, the jury was made up of seven men and five women. Um, they had been partially sequestered, meaning that they could, 
they could go home at the end of each day, but they couldn't talk to each other or to anyone else about what was going on or like consume media or anything. This is as opposed to being like fully sequestered where they were in a hotel and couldn't leave. Yes, he pled not guilty originally. Um, so his sentencing hearing, it's not scheduled until May 4th, 2022. Uh, sentencing often happen like a few months after the verdict is read. This seems like pretty delayed. However, courts are like, unbelievably backlogged due to COVID. Um, so it makes sense. Like it's going to take literal years to get caught up. Courts were backlogged before COVID. So May 4th, 2022 makes sense. Um, at sentencing, he could face anywhere from 10 years to life in prison. This is a wide range and it's up to the judge. It's at the judge's discretion to figure out how many years to give him. The mandatory minimum is 10, the maximum is life. And the way that judges make this determination is through a number of means. They look at the statute, obviously, which again, mandatory minimum of 10 years. Um, however, they also have what's called um, sentencing guidelines, which are written by a commission, a committee, um, to help judges determine how long someone should be sentenced for every single separate federal crime. It's this big, thick book. You, you flip through it to find the crime at issue and you see the list. And it has factors that would increase the, the sentence and factors that would decrease the sentence. So like the heinousness of the crime, the, um, his past criminal record, any good behavior, any sort of mitigating circumstances, things like that the judge is going to take into consideration when looking at how long to sentence him. Let me just uh, bring PubCam back because Moira has entered the building and I, is a nice palate cleanser for this subject. Um, the judge will also, however, receive usually uh, what's called a pre-sentencing report, PSR. Um, this is where the probation will do a whole background analysis of the convicted person. They will look at their history. They will look at their, their criminal history, but also like their childhood, any sort of good deeds, any sort of bad deeds, any, any sort of like substance abuse, any mental health issues. They're going to look at everything about this person and they're going to compile it into a report and submit it to the judge. So the judge is looking at the statute, the sentencing guidelines, the pre-sentencing report, and then obviously she was present for the whole trial. So she has all of that. She's got the jury verdict, which she has to go by because it's the jury of his peers. It's now up to her to make the sentence. Um, so again, anywhere from 10 years to life in prison, given how fucking heinous his crimes are, I would be floored if he only got 10 years. I would be absolutely floored because again, the heinousness of the crime will increase the sentencing according to the sentencing guidelines. They are just guidelines. The judge does not have to follow them. She has to follow the statute, which says at least 10 years, but she doesn't have to follow the guidelines, but most judges do. Because again, it's a committee of people coming together of experts to like come up with this. So um, they usually follow them. <clears throat> I would be less surprised if he got life in prison, given, given the heinousness and the quantity of crimes. Um, so like I said before, while he waits sentencing, he also faces federal charges in Illinois for child porn and for obstruction of justice. I'm not sure if that's going to start before sentencing or if it's going to start, they're going to wait until after sentencing. He also faces state charges. So again, these have all been federal, federal charges. He also faces state criminal charges because of crimes he committed just in the state that doesn't necessarily involve federal issues. 
in Illinois, um, as well as here, good old Minneapolis, where he was charged in 2019 with engaging in prostitution with a minor. The man is a fucking monster. He cannot be, he cannot be allowed to wander, <laughs> uh, which is why he's been sitting in prison since his indictment in 2019, because he was a flight risk, because he was a danger to society and the judge ordered him not to be able to post bail. And that's the story. All right. I've linked all my sources down below. Again, some of them go into the day-to-day -day detail of the trial, which I honestly spared you from. Because A, a lot of times the questioning of witnesses can get really boring because you have to go into like, what's your name? Where are you from? What is your association with the defendant? And like, it can get really long. It can be hours and hours and hours on the stand. Like the first witness against him, Jane Doe four, I think, three, she was on the stand for two days, you know? But some of it is really explosive, but some of it is also really traumatic to read. So I didn't, I mean, we went into some pretty gory details here today, but I didn't want to go too over, overboard. You can read it yourself. You can read the indictment, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, yeah, literal menace to society, agreed. Um, shocking that he was able to get away with it for 30 years, but I think that a lot of people feel... Um, at least some relief. Though there were people sitting outside the courtroom blasting R. Kelly music, protesting him being put, being found guilty. So there are still R. Kelly sympathizers. Lord knows they're going to find this video and comment something mean on it at some point. But uh, what are you going to do? You know? Um, that's the story. I will take your questions if you have any. Um, Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, if he is found guilty in the other thing, does it all add up into one big sentence? It would, it would be an additional sentence, technically, especially, especially for the state crimes, because he's going to be serving his time in federal prison. Um, but if they find him guilty in the state crimes, they can kind of roll it all into one and be like, well, he's already got life in prison. We'll just tack it on to the end of that, or we'll count it as part of the state crimes. He can serve his state sentence in federal prison. A lot of times though, like these state charges never actually amount to a criminal trial. Um, because like, I'm thinking of like the Ted Bundy case, for example, he was wanted in so many states, but it was Florida that got him and Florida kept him. And then Florida gave him the death sentence. Um, and the other states were kind of like, as long as he's off the streets, it won't cost, cost our taxpayer money to try to prosecute him because he's already in prison. So now that I'm talking through this, it would make sense for them to wait until after sentencing so that they know um, how long he's in prison and whether it's even like worth it, which is, which is really insensitive to say for like the victims, obviously, but um, once, once someone's in prison, you know, and it's life without possibility of parole, it's a lot of, it's a, it's expensive. It's expensive to have a trial like this. So it makes sense for a state to say, well, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to continue with it. Yeah. So he was charged federally, both in New York and in Illinois. So he, because some of the crimes were committed in the Eastern district of New York, but some of them were not, it is outside of the New York jurisdiction so they can't they can't bring the crimes that were committed in illinois before a judge in new york they could easily get dismissed for lack of jurisdiction because the the crimes didn't happen there however i did read that they were working very closely 
with the Illinois prosecution office. So like they released their indictments on the same day and they, I think, well, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm not sure how sharing of evidence works in cases like that, but they were working together on the investigation of him, certainly, and they wrote and released the indictments against him in tandem. So it's certainly a combined effort, but it's a jurisdictional issue to combine everything into one. Yeah, he ruined Space Jam. Uh, I believe I can fly. We can't. Can't. We can't. It's... There, yeah. <laughs> it's a travesty. Uh, so the charges from the 2009 case, um, they can't be brought again. He was found not guilty. It'd be double jeopardy. Can't do it. Um, these are all new charges. These are all new charges, different people against him. Um, court backlogs. Can't really do much. Can't really do much to catch up at this point. They are uh, very uh, fervently urging parties to try to work things out on their own, but uh, which is what they always do because they prefer to have settlements out of court and not have to go through a full trial. But um, yeah, I don't know. There might be some innovation happening in certain courts throughout the country where they're figuring out ways to kind of move it along, but it is... Yeah, it's, it's a mess. Um, let's see. Just reading your questions. Um, yeah, the similarities to the Nexium called. I don't know if you guys have watched those Nexium documentaries, but that is a wild ride, wild ride. Um, I have not seen Surviving R. Kelly. I decided that I didn't want to do that to myself because holy shit. Thank you, Champ Overflow, for the super sticker and to Josie R. for the super sticker. Very appreciated. And to Victorian, aka Vix. Thank you so much for the super sticker and your support. Very appreciated. Let's see. Um, Aquadita, are there specific laws protecting from coercive control outside of the penalties for other forms of violence and abuse? That's a great question. I think probably at the state level, there are some, I don't know that at the federal level there are, there's like federal assault, but it has to involve things that the federal government can regulate, which include like going crossing state lines but at the state level every all the assault laws are written slightly differently so um there there certainly could be some state laws that uh that penalize coercive control um which if you don't know what aquadita is talking about there's the wheel of uh power and control um highly recommend you Google it. It is a really eye-opening thing to read and look at if you never have because it, it looks at all the different types of abuse, coercion, and control that can occur in a relationship um, that don't necessarily equate to physical violence but are nonetheless abusive behavior. Thank you again, Vix, for the super sticker. Thank you so much, Eric. Happy Friday. I am so happy it's Friday. Um... I'm glad you are enjoying the snoring 
Moira, and I think we can end on this. I believe he can fly right into the garbage can. Trash. Absolute trash. <sighs> one big, maybe one big deep um, inhale and exhale as we go about the rest of our day. Um, thank you so much for joining. I am glad we could cover this, even if it is a horrific talk topic. I'm glad that Moira could join us for a little, um, a little bit of a palate cleanser. Um, that's it. That's the live stream, people. Thank you so much. It's Friday. A reminder, tomorrow, Saturday, I will be streaming over on my Twitch. Yes, I have a Twitch. I play Sims. I'm currently playing the Sim version of myself. We're doing the lawyer track. She's in university. She's got a couple crushes. Hamza didn't work out, but now there's Alexia. That one doesn't seem to be working out either. She keeps striking out in love, but she is in her third semester of university and she's kind of killing it. Especially, it's been a major comeback after the F she got her first semester. Anyway, join me over on Twitch um, for on Saturday at noon central, noon to three. Hang out, come and go as you please. You can lurk, you don't have to chat. It's a fun time. It's really chill. Um, and otherwise, I'll see you next week on Monday. Thanks so much for watching. Mm, bye! Thank you for listening to the Real Life Law Podcast. As a reminder, I stream live over on my YouTube every Monday and Friday at 9 a.m. Central, and then I turn it into podcast audio for you because I get that you're a busy person on the go. If you've found this podcast informational or entertaining, please consider leaving a review. Every review helps this podcast grow and is greatly appreciated. Thanks so much for listening. Bye bye